Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. We're getting into the, the practical part of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now remember Paul, when he wrote to the Colossian church, he was in prison and um, he had had a visit from Epaphras, uh, who had started that church. Uh, Paul had met this guy, Epaphras, in Ephesus, and uh, Epaphras was from Colossae, and he went back over there to start churches, and that's how it happened in the first century. When after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came, we see in Acts chapter 2, and the church was born, and people began to share the gospel, they began to spread the gospel, and it's just like in our fellowship here, from time to time that people move, and that's just how the church grew back then, and it still grows that way today, and when people move and come and go as is part of life, uh, if there's not a church there, they they can plant a church, they can start a church, and churches grow. If you were in another country where there was not a lot of uh, presence of the gospel, then, you know, as people got saved and they scattered about, churches would uh, grow. Now, today's topic, we're going to look at um, Jesus being Lord over our, our families, over our marriages, over our work. If, you know, really over our lives, because what's important to us? Who are we? We are, you know, we're husband and wife. We're, we're a family. You know, we're part of a community, and we, we go to work. These are the things that, that make our life and put our life together. Do you think men and women are different? But before we get into that wonderful topic, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to... Uh, bless this time and to speak through his word. Father God, I pray that each one of us today that we would simply hear your word. Lord, your word that has been spoken to the church. God, that still is changing lives today, 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that we would hear. I pray that we would understand that your Holy Spirit would give us clarity. And Lord, then I pray that we would respond in a way that would be life-changing and pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up with um, three brothers, and so my mom had four sons. So I really did not understand. To say I did not understand females would be an understatement. I really did not. And I've noticed that... uh, my experience is not necessarily the experience of other people. I noticed right away that someone who grew up with sisters had a better perspective on things, you know, putting down seats and washing hands and all of those things that, uh, I mean, I grew up in a time when their sanitizer had not been invented yet. And, and we were, uh, I mean, not only did we drink from the hose, we did a lot of things that... Uh, are just a little different, and and we're you know men and women are different, 
and, and being married for almost 20 years now, I've realized that and just listening to people and talking about things. And one thing that I've noticed is that as men, we tend to compartmentalize things. And, and this is common knowledge to a lot of you. You know, you realize that. But I think sometimes what happens is that can carry over to our spiritual life where it's just amazing. And I experienced this the first time I had lunch with a friend of mine many years ago. It was probably 15 years ago. And I knew that he was having an affair. I knew that he was doing things that were absolutely ungodly and unholy. And we were sitting at a restaurant, and he was telling how much he enjoyed the preaching at the church he went to. And I remember thinking, I'm like, brother... (laughs) how that man preaches is the least of your concerns. I mean, you are cheating on your wife. And I would not have even, I would not have known that if someone in the community didn't tell me about it. That's how, that's how known this is and how out in the open this situation is, is that people in the community assume that I knew because I was your friend. Now, I tend to believe the best in people, and it's usually someone that would point something out to me about someone. That's the way God made me, and I'm glad I'm that way. You know, it spared me a lot of trouble over the years. My mother was like that, and, and I, I love to be the friend, the encourager, and I, I don't seek conflict, but, you know, I've learned if I'm going to follow Christ, there are times when you have to speak the truth in love. And I'm not like my brother. My brother, his approach is hit him between the eyes, tell him the truth. And you know what? I know uh, there was a time when I, I shared something with my brother and, and uh, some mistakes that I'd made in life when I was in my 20s, and I was talking to him, and he said, I wish I, wish I could have been there for you. And I felt like saying, you know, Glenn, I made sure you were not there for me because I didn't want to hear what you had to say because I knew he would speak the truth to me in love. He wouldn't sugarcoat things. He wouldn't try to understand. And I think what it is is we compartmentalize our spiritual lives as well. I think we look and say, well, you know, I read my Bible. Praise the Lord. You know, and that's over here. And then we've got some broken areas that are not right. And I don't think women, you know, are put together like that. I think if there's one thing out of order it kind of influences everything. And I think that's part of our conflict as men and women is the woman is sitting there looking at us and she sees that one area that we're not doing the right thing and we want to compartmentalize it and kind of say, well, what about all these other things? Well, spiritually, you know, God actually looks at it the way the woman looks at it, I believe, because it says... It said, if we sin in one area, what does it say? We, we sin in all the areas. So I think we have to look at it that if there is one area that's not right, then Jesus wants to do something in that area. But there is um, this statement that we have to deal with, that the Bible does not allow us to compartmentalize our spiritual lives. If there's an area in our lives that's out of whack. God wants us to deal with it. But the good news is if men and women, parents and children, owners and workers, business owners, workers, 
will come under the lordship of Christ, there will be less conflict and there will be greater success in our life. There's good news. See, when I was talking to my brother one time, he was speaking the truth to me in love. This is when I approached him in humility and I talked to him about a situation and I wanted to see change in my life. And he said, the good news is, I remember, I remember those words. He said, Mark, the good news is there's still time. If you will make some changes, God can do something in that situation. You know, it was reassuring coming from my brother because I, not, I knew I wasn't dealing with someone that just said what I wanted to hear. You know, sometimes we seek out people that are just going to pat us on the back and agree with us. And we know that doesn't really do anything. You know, we know we need to change in particular situations. And none of us, none of us here today are finished. None of us are fully mature. Every single one of us are growing spiritually. And what's little today can become bigger tomorrow. A little problem can actually grow to be a more serious problem. And I've experienced that in my house over the years. I've experienced that in my cars. That if I would ignore something and push it to the side, even though it's not a problem now, it'll eventually get to be a problem. Every little problem is on track to become a big problem. So for the Christian... The goal is not to compartmentalize. The, the goal is when you are aware and someone tells you and you're getting that, that feedback that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you defensive, when things are coming to your attention that you have to deal with, not to brush it to the side, not to look at the 30 things that are going right, but to realize that God in His sovereignty has brought an area to your attention that if you ignore it, it will become more more serious. While your marriage, family, or life might be hitting in the wrong direction, the good news today is that it is not too late to change your future. The person you will be tomorrow, you're becoming today, you and I. We are, we are in the process of becoming a man and woman of God, or we're in the process of going in the wrong direction. And we want to look at our lives honestly and, and examine ourselves, you know, and say, God, where is it that you want us to change? What is it that we don't want to just finish? We want to finish well. What can we do? You know, what can we do? How can we take ownership? And we're not alone. You know, we're all in a similar journey. The Bible says in uh, Colossians, looking at our text, wives, be subject to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. In another um, letter, Paul writes, Men, love your wives as Christ loved your church. Now, rather than get into the details of these verses, we're going to look at it from a broad perspective that God has called every man and woman, every child, every relationship, every business owner, every worker, because when the Bible talks about slaves and servants, in that context, these were people who, not the type of slavery that we you know, had in our country, but the, it was more of people who were politically uh, captured and they worked for someone. And these people in the Bible actually were able to work and earn their freedom. So Paul didn't say, go run away from your situation. He said to work as unto the Lord. 
So we're going to just look at this from the perspective in our country that these are business owners and workers. The three relationships, the family relationship with the husband and wife, with the parent and children, and the business relationship with the worker and the owner. Paul writes, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. Slaves or servants, obey those who are your human masters and everything, not with eye service as people pleasers, but sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The goal today is that we would make a commitment to allow Jesus to be the Lord over our marriage, our family, and our work. That is the goal. If we can walk out of here and say, okay, this is our target. We want to stand before God, and we're not going to have this argument, does it say this or does it say that? If every one of us, and I believe this with my whole heart, if every one of us would simply surrender fully to Christ and say, Lord, I am going to honor and glorify you in every relationship. My relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my children, and my relationship with my work. I'm going to honor you and glorify you in that, that God would do a, a supernatural miracle in us and although he cannot make other people do, he is not going to make other people function as robots. You will have to respond and, and react to the different choices that people make. There are people who have the best intentions and they get jobs and they simply work for someone that's completely unreasonable. And that's just the way it is. And you can't change that person. But you can look at the Bible, you can trust God in that situation, and you can walk, and, and you might need to change jobs. you know. And when we are in the uh, process of raising children, there's no parent in here that's perfect. You might have a parent who made some bad choices, and those choices might have affected you, but you still, at this point and at this time, you can say, you know what, I'm going to surrender my life fully to Christ. And God's going to heal those broken areas. And, and by God's grace, I'm going to grow up and be a phenomenal parent for Jesus. I've seen people, you know, I've taught school and had several people, you know, way back in the 80s when I first started teaching. I've seen people who came from broken homes who I listened to the young people talk about their parents. And I knew their parents were making bad choices. And I look at them on Facebook, and I might talk to them over the phone, you know, in all these years, and I've seen young men become incredible fathers. You know, I had one young man that I taught. He was such a slack student. I spent so much time trying to beg teachers to let him play in a football game and not count that D or F that he made because he was so lazy. And I used to get on him, and we would talk about it. You know, he slipped by school, barely passed. And then when he was like 18 or 19, he married really young, but he married a phenomenal believer, someone who loved the Lord and challenged him to go to the next level. And when he made up his mind that he was going to change, 
He did it with his whole heart. And God has done tremendous things. And I look at his two children and I see he puts on Facebook things like, you know, I wasn't a great student. But by God's grace, my children were honored students. God turned his weakness into strengths. You know, his son was academic. His daughter was a scholar. You know, it, your past doesn't have to equal your future. And my situation today does not condemn me to a certain life. My situation today is changed by this factor that God is a God of miracles. And God can change people, and God can help you and I grow to become the person that He's called you to be. I want to be more than what I can think of. I want to be what God sees and wants for my future. I want to be surrendered to Him so I can follow and obey Him and arrive at the destination that He has, which is far better than anything I could conceive of. Why is it difficult for men and women to get along? Why do we believe it's so difficult for men and women to get along? Well, Adam and Eve were the first dysfunctional family. And I don't think we can have that discussion without going back to the garden. We were born as sinners. And without Christ, we are prideful and selfish. Pride was the sin of Adam and Eve. They thought that they could do it their own way. And they chose their path, and as a result, you and I were born into a fallen world. And Christ came to restore what was lost in the garden. So when we have problems and we have challenges, I think if you talked to any couple in this room, they would talk about some of the challenges of a relationship. If you talk to any of our children, if you talk to any of our parents, I think they would say that there's been conflict. You know, I, I like to, you know, look back and think of my childhood as never having an argument with my parents, but that's not the reality. You know, as I think about it and as my memory comes back to me, there were times when I was stubborn, I was rebellious, I was sneaky. You know, I remember uh, skipping school one time, and um, I had such a good time skipping school that I skipped it again the second day. And what made it worse is, and when I got caught, this is what made my parents so angry at me, is I said, you know, I need more food. I didn't have enough food today. So my mom prepared even more food. And she said, you not only skipped school and lied, you deceived me. And they were so mad because, you know what, we are, we are fallen. And then I remember one Christmas when my older brother confessed that when he was about 15 years old, and somehow he said that he fell off of his bike and landed on the hot tar and ended up with second-degree burns. So they took him to the emergency room, and the doctor was like, how in the world did you burn your hands like that from falling off of a bike? My brother kept a straight face, looked him right in the eye, and said, well, the tar was really hot. When he got older, one Christmas, he said, I need to confess that I made that story up. And I'm like, wow, this is really going to be cool. I'm like, I was like, wow. And my dad goes, well, what happened? What actually happened? He said, well, I made some gun 
powder and it blew up. And he didn't want to admit that. So we make mistakes. We're not perfect. You know, we make mistakes as men and women, as parents. We made mistakes as children. So it's not a surprise. I remember one time I was sharing with my brother about a, a challenge that I was having. And he said, have you thought of talking to Mr. Hamilton? Mr. Hamilton was our pastor growing up. And I said, I don't want that man to know I'm struggling like this. He said, Mark, go to him. He'll be glad you came. You know he loves you and cares about you. Why would you go to someone that you barely know? When we realize that we're making a mistake and when we are to the point where, God, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. If we will go to those that care about us and go to God, He will be glad we came because He loves us. He realizes that we're human. He realizes that we're not perfect. And let me just say, it's not in the text, but let me just make the comment. If you're observing these things and you see people struggling with things, please pray for them and try to encourage them and not talk about them. Please try to make an atmosphere where we don't act like somebody has the plague when they do the same things we've done or that other people are doing. You know, people, just because we're in church does not make, you know what, church people do everything that people out in the world do. Amen? We don't come in here and become perfect. We come in here with the same problems. The difference is, is that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, that He died on the cross for our sins, and our hope is in Christ. And by following and obeying Him, that we can become more like Him. But even when we get to the end of our lives and some sinner comes to us who looks at us with a lot of respect and admits to us a weakness, we're not going to say, oh, what's wrong with you? But we're going to say, look, I can identify. I can identify. I am a sinner like you. God loves you. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Because that is the nature of the grace forgiveness, redemption. This is a place of mercy, grace, compassion, love, forgiveness, hope, second chances. I love it when I talk to people and they say, when I was younger, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, I made a lot of mistakes when I was younger and I'm thinking, praise the Lord. You know, because I look at somebody and I think, well, man, they, they've got it together. They probably never struggled. No, people, from what I'm getting, the feedback that I'm getting from different people is like, you know, when I was younger, I made these mistakes. Well, guess what? We've all come together with all of our experiences in the past, good and bad, and we form a community, and the goal is, is to help and encourage other people. And the people who don't have a spiritual family, who are out there in the community, that don't have a connection to God through a local church, they're not growing in their relationship with God. We are here to invite them, encourage them, and help them when they come in here. To set a high standard, to set a good example, to inspire them and encourage them, but to have the grace and the mercy and the compassion to understand that you and I will make mistakes from time to time. You know, I was 
having a conversation even this morning, and I said to myself, you know what? I think I made a wrong decision in this particular situation. Does that mean I quit the Christian life? Does that mean I give up? No. We go to God, we pray about it, and we say, Lord, I think I was wrong in that situation. And the Holy Spirit would say, yeah, you were wrong. Okay, let's fix it. Let's change. Let's forgive it. Let's confess it. If it involves other people, get it right with them too. Go to the person. Hey, I was wrong in that situation. I'm asking your forgiveness. You fix it. You move on. You grow. And you try not to do the same thing over and over again. If you find yourself making the same mistakes, then the smart thing to do would be to pray and seek out help so that you don't make the same mistakes. There's people, God can work through you to encourage you. He also can work through other people. It's important to have people in your lives that speak the truth to you in love and not just coddle you when you're doing the same thing over and over again. Some things we have to change, and sometimes we have to hear a tough word, and that's okay. As long as that person loves me and wants what's best for me, I'm willing to take a hard word from somebody, and I hope you are. I hope you can take correction because it's very difficult to grow spiritually if you avoid the people that speak the hard words. Some people are going to be more encouraging. They're going to be more uh, compassionate. Other people are going to be tougher. When you really want to change, you seek out the tougher word because you know that's going to prompt you to make the changes that will help you grow spiritually. Are you in denial? We put our heads in the sand. We don't want to know. The first step to change is to admit there is a problem and look to God for help. Amen? The first step to change, and I can tell you, every person in this room that has walked through a moral failure of any significance would agree with this statement. I think if we went around this room, there would be people that would stand up and you would listen to their testimony and they would say, I stopped blaming everybody else. I stopped making excuses. I stopped pretending like things were okay when they were not okay. And I asked God to help me. You know, because if there's going to be a solution, God has to be involved in it. The first step to change is to admit there is a problem and look to God for help. You know, that's really, you know, we can end the sermon right there. That is the most important thing. Because I don't have all the answers to your situation nor to mine. But I know God does. I was talking to, yeah, I guess you're going to learn from this sermon that I talk to my brother a lot. I was talking to him a while back, and I was describing some challenges that I'd faced. And he was saying, you know, the biggest hurdle in overcoming challenges is to admit that there's a problem. He said, and you've already done that. So I feel confident that things are going to get better. He said, I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, if you don't believe there's a problem and you, you don't see the problem, not much is going to happen. But if you want things to change, you know, and I experienced this one time. I was taking a trip to Florida. We were going to Disney World, a couple guys when we were in college. And I didn't know a lot about cars. You know, I still don't know a lot, but I didn't know hardly anything back then. But I did know that if the red light came on, you had to do something. I knew that was a problem. And we were flying down there, and, and I told the guy, I said, David, I think you're going too fast. You know, I'm not uptight, but you're, I think you're going too fast. 
And then I said, David, I really think that red light means something. I don't know what it means. It was the big, you know, bright red light back then. And then I said, and then I know for a fact, it was three of us. Another guy was scared of him, so he wouldn't say anything. I said, look, guys, I know for a fact we're not supposed to smell stuff in the car. <laughs> I know that's not right. He was in complete denial. And we stopped on the side of the road, smoke coming from the car. He burned his engine up in Wilson, North Carolina. We left the car there. We were, I think, 19, 20 years old. His dad had to come pick us up from Wilson, North Carolina, and take us back to Newport News. He burned his car up because he would not acknowledge all of the, the signals, the, the significance of the light, the smell, the clicking sound, the pistons locking up. What will it take? And we're like that sometimes. You know, so if there are lights on, if there are indicators then get alone with God and say, Lord, you know, I'm here. I admit, I admit to you there's a situation going on, and I'm asking for you to help. And then open your eyes up and see who God is bringing into your life and what God is setting up for you to make the changes. We inspect our cars every year to make sure there's not a problem. God wants us to examine ourselves and ask the hard questions. God wants us to examine ourselves and ask the hard questions. These are some of those questions. There's plenty more, and I encourage you to look at different questions to do a self-examination, to examine yourselves, you know, to sit down and, and just walk through some questions to know where you are spiritually with your marriage, with your family, with your work with your life, with your spiritual relationship with God, which is at the top of the list. You know, where are you spiritually? The first question is, men, do I love my wife the way Christ loves the church? You know, to examine that. Or am I selfish? What does it mean if we don't do that? It means we are self-absorbed. You know, I, I struggle with that. I'm going to struggle with selfishness far more I'm going to struggle with pride. You know, it's just the way I was raised or put together. But selfishness, you know, when you start examining yourself, if you see that you, you do things for yourselves rather than other people, you know, that's a, that's a red light that's coming on. You don't want your engine to lock up. You don't want smoke coming from your, your car. That's going to create a problem if we're consistently putting ourselves above others that we're in relationship with. Next question. If my children follow my example, where will it lead them? What type of example? Men and women, you know, what type of example are we? And that's an unselfish thing. So if we are selfish, if that question somehow makes you irritated or makes me irritated, if I push back against that question, then there's a spiritual problem. Can I be honest? If that pushes me back, there is a spiritual problem more significant than, than that car that got left in Wilson. If I'm thinking about myself so much that I feel entitled to do whatever I want without thinking of how it affects other people, then I am living selfishly. And it will not end well. One thing my brother has told me over and over the years, and he's counseled several people. You know, he's had people walk into his office and say, my husband has cheated on me. 
tell him and his wife, my husband has cheated on me. And he went and he talked to the husband. And the husband says, I was wrong, break down, start crying. And then he's seen that relationship restored. He's seen the marriage improve. And not only that, he's seen God use those people to use their failure to have greater ministry. He's seen the worst of problems. And one thing he's always told me is as you get older, problems don't get better. They get worse. We become more selfish. If it's a little problem, maybe you drank a little bit. Maybe you drank a little bit more. As you get older, if you don't deal with it, you will go down a path. I've seen people have a little problem. It became bigger and bigger because things get more intense. But if we will deal with them, that's the good news. If we will stop ignoring our own issues, our selfishness, the demons that we are fighting, if we will stop ignoring them and surrender them to the Lord and see church as a place to get corrected, not as a place to be affirmed even when we're making bad decisions. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to come and say, well, I'm going to go to church and I want them to praise me and encourage me and I want to do whatever I want. That's ungodly. It's not good for you, nor for me. We need to be corrected. We need to be taught the Word of God. We need to hear a higher standard, a better standard. We need to focus on Christ, not the lowest common denominator of behavior. You know, we need to be seeking and pursuing Him with love and mercy and grace and compassion and encouragement but not with our heads in the sand when we or people that we say we love are making bad choices over and over again. We need to say as a church, as a group of believers, we're committed to the lordship of Christ in every area of our lives. And we're open. We're open to sit down and say to our, our wives or our children, hey, look at me. Do you see something that does not honor God or something that is hurting you? I want to deal with it. I'm man enough to deal with it. I'm not going to say, oh no, affirm me. Tell me I'm okay. No. Knock me between the eyes. I want to take it so that I can change. Because I don't want to live my life doing the same things that are not working. Amen? I want to make changes. Because we can. There's hope. There's time. Are we setting the example that God would want us to set? And there are little areas and then there are big areas. But we need to face the music. We need to ask people who can give us feedback. We need to go into the car inspection place and let them look at the car. Because if the light is out in the back, I don't want to get a ticket. We need to be that way spiritually. You know, if we ignore it, it can get worse. Do I work as unto the Lord? Do you see your job and your work as an opportunity to serve God and to please Him? Is Jesus Lord of all my relationships? What would the people who know me the best say about my relationship with Christ or my relationship with them? What would the people who know me best say about my relationship? What I encourage you to do, heart-to-heart talk here, is ask that question this week. Sit down with the people you know and love. You know, sit down with someone. If you're single, sit down with, you know, a parent or a brother, sister, 
or someone. Sit down with someone that can give you an honest answer. Maybe a few of them. And write down what they say. Put it down. Find out what do they see. What do they see as my strengths and weaknesses? And say, you know what, I'm not going to take it personal. I'm not going to push back and get defensive. I'm just going to say, okay, that's where I'm at. And then take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. Help me in that area. And allow the Holy Spirit to just work in you and change those areas and say, you know what? Guess what? You're as loved when you do that. Is you're loved. You couldn't be more perfect in His sight. You're created in Christ Jesus. You have the righteousness of Christ. Your Heavenly Father loves you just the way you are, but He wants you to change and grow. And He's willing to help you do that. But you can't do it if you don't know what you need to change or ask Him for. You know, find out where the issues are with people who love you. I'm not saying put your business out there. I'm not saying that. And I think as a body of Christ, as a church, we should guard people's secrets so closely. We should be known as the most tight-lipped people in the whole world. I'll say this. I believe with my whole heart that a gossip is worse than any drug addict. A gossip is the most disgusting, evil, horrible thing for the life of God's people. It really is. It hurts more people. It tears more people apart. We should protect people's hurt and weaknesses as if they were ours. Because that keeps people locked in pride and fear, and they don't open up and get help with, with the simple things. You know, the problems in this room, I would say most likely, in the light of eternity, are minor fixes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The things that we are worked up about are probably things that he could, boom, he put it back together, you'd be on your way. You know, we're not living in some third world country wondering where we can get a meal. We're in America with all of these resources, with all of the things we have here, and yet somehow the enemy has us in bondage. We should be seeking the help that we need, just being open and honest. There's people who specialize in talking to people and encouraging people. We should get the things out in the open and deal with them in the right situation and allow God to work in these things and put them behind us so that we can enjoy life, so that we can experience the love of God and the love of other people so that we can live our few years on this earth in peace and serenity and joy and love and in healthy relationships. We should just step out of denial, deal with our problems, and do it in a way that we respect other people, we encourage other people, and we realize we're all fighting stuff. None of us are immune to it. We all have challenges so that we can grow and develop and be the person God wants us to be. Remember the good news. The good news is that you and I, we can change today by the grace of God. That's the good news. So that next year, we could be in a better place. I think every one of us in this room have been to a place spiritually where we were struggling. And God's either done something, or I believe God can do something now. We are in a spiritual battle. You and I are in a spiritual battle. And as I prepared this lesson this week, and I prayed about it, I feel like the Lord spoke to me very specifically. 
I don't always experience that, but in this case, I feel like the Lord gave me a really direct word for this church, for us, for our situations. And the Lord whispered in my spirit. He said, Mark, the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Get out of the way and let me deal with it. The Lord will fight for you. If you are hurting in a relationship or in a situation, if you are not where you want to be spiritually or in any way, it's not you. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. God will, will act on your behalf. Seek his help. Seek his help. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. When Christ died on the cross, he paid for every sin. He paid for everything. So the battle is the Lord's. And God can do great things. God can do great things here as a church. And what I encourage you to do, just to summarize, is, is to step out of denial, ask God for help, allow God to help you. If anybody here at the church can help you, seek out their help as well. We're here to do it together, and as we do it together, and as we grow together, we're all committed to be as private and as confidential and as respectful as we can about the circumstances because that's what we would want to be treated. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.